Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. It's a two-word question that's going to guide us for the next several weeks as we, uh, as we continue this series of asking why. And there's a lot of reasons why we should ask this next question, mostly because other people ask it. People ask, why, why do I have to go to church anyway? Church members sometimes ask, why do I have to go to church? It's, it's a reasonable question. I used to ask that question of my father once. Didn't end well, but I asked him about it, and he said, well, you know what? You don't have to go to church. We can both go back to the, we can both just sit here on the couch all morning. Nope, I believe I'd rather go to church, Dad. So, so I learned that my dad had a quick and ready answer for that question. The church doesn't always. But there's so much more at stake than just getting more people in the building or getting more money. That is not what this is about. That's at all what this is about. Yes, there, there is a, you know, we always have an emphasis every year where we talk about giving to God and then God gives us that money so we can do the, the ministry of the church. But that's not, that has nothing to do with this. This is about our response to what God has done in Jesus Christ. And the church is his idea. And, and so we ask the question so that we can come up with reasonable answers as to why go to church. Do we have to go to church? Again, circling back to that original question. And some people, some people would answer yes if, if you don't want to go to hell. Well, you know, and that's one way to look at it. That, that is certainly part of being a Christian, a follower of Christ. We're going to heaven one day. We're saved from, from that absence of God eternally that, that we call hell. But Gosh, there are better reasons to go to church than just that. Yes, yes, we can avoid that. But, but to go to church only to avoid going to hell is like, it's like taking a vacation only so you don't have to go to work. I mean, there are easier ways to not go to work for a week. But if that's, if that's the point, then you're going to miss the whole joy of vacation. There's so much there. Lynn and I just got back from a week together. And when you go on, I didn't go on vacation so I could not come to work for a week. I happened to really like coming into work. Not everybody does, and I get that. But, but going on vacation was, was all about being together. It's about relationship. It's about seeing new things, having new experiences, deepening, uh, just deepening the whole life experience. So going on vacation is so much more than just not going to work. And going to church is so much more than just not going to hell. You know, heaven and hell, that's Jesus' realm. He's got all that covered. Faith in him, we never have to think about that again. But there's so much living to do between now and then. And that's where the church comes in. And there are lots of reasons that people give not to go. And right now, uh, uh, we, we know that church attendance is declining. It is in most all denominations and in many non-denominational churches. And it has been for years. And it's not because so much that there 
there's anything wrong with the church. It's just there's so much going on. When people are asked why your church attendance is declining, uh, they give a number of answers. One is that there are so many other options now. You know, back in the day, even when I was a kid, and I'm an old guy, when I was a kid, the church was the center of the community. You went to church. When, when you moved somewhere, when, you, when, when I was a young man, and, and even you know, since then, uh, in the South particularly, you, if you move into a new neighborhood, your neighbors aren't likely to ask if you go to church. They're, they're going to ask, where do you go to church? Because the assumption is that you do. That's not the case anymore. There are so many different options, and especially for children. I'm not picking on anybody. It's true. There are lots of options now for kids, and that's one of the reasons. People travel more than they used to, particularly right now that we have this sense that the worst of COVID is over, and people are feeling better about traveling again. Now, that's where online worship helps out uh, to keep people connected. Cultural shifts away from the church. One of the big ones uh, is this phenomenon of spiritual but not religious. A lot of uh, uh, church research now gets that as an answer. Well, you know, I'm spiritual and I'm in touch with my spiritual self, but I'm not a religious person. And I get that. And religion has done a lot to turn people off over the years. But spiritual but not religious is kind of generic. And I always equate it to eating at the salad bar. You know, and I like, and the older I get, the more I eat salad. But if you go to the salad bar, you know, whenever you want to do your own make it up for yourself religion and you all have a little bit of this and I, that looks good over here I'll try a little bit of that we can do that and you can have that but generally speaking you're going to be hungry in a couple of hours if that's all you had and the same is true when we try to do do-it-yourself religion though it's very very popular there are lots of books out there to help you along your spiritual but not religious way but that's one of the reasons church attendance is declining also and this one is a little scarier for a couple of reasons one is that well the, the problem is there's a failure to find a direct benefit from going to church people who are asked if you go to church and if your attendance is declining, they will, they will sometimes cite, well, I'm not getting that much out of it. And there are two problems with that. One is, is the church letting them down? And we are acutely aware of that as the leaders of the church. And we're constantly thinking about how can we feed people better? How can we make sure that needs are being met? But the other side of that is this, and that is this view of church of being some sort of something you consume, a sort of consumer approach as opposed to a participation approach. And I've said many times, being a Christian is not a spectator sport. It's something we all get involved in. I've said this before, and people have always scratched their heads, but it's true. If this were a theologically correct worship center, you would all be up here with us, and there'd be one chair out there, and you know who'd be sitting in the chair? Jesus. And everybody else will be up here. That's the way we worship him. We, we try to create atmospheres that help us find ourselves in a, in a, in a, a state of worship. But, but that, that's, so you see what I mean. And, and, but sometimes there's this failure to feel like there's a direct benefit from church. And all of those come together to cause church attendance to decline. So, so we want to get at that. And what I want to do and what we want to do in both rooms as we go through this series is talk about the real reasons why we go to church and what there is for us and for the church 
if we do, because it also impacts the larger community that we're in. Now, I want to give you two theological answers to the question, why church, and kind of what church is, or actually one theological and one experiential. Um, Here's the theological reason for church, okay? This is, if I were to put on my seminary hat, I don't even have one, but if I had one, I would put it on, I would say this. Jesus came. Jesus came to create a pathway for humankind to get back to God because sin had separated us in the garden and people had tried and tried and tried <clears throat> to find their way back to God and God had done all these different things to try to get people back to him and people kept choosing other things besides God. And so ultimately Jesus came and Jesus paid for the sin that really was our responsibility and, and removed that barrier so that we could find ourselves in the very heart of God and have this intimate relationship with him. And the church was formed by Jesus as a way of ensuring that his mission would continue on this planet after his return to heaven, after his resurrection. So the church is where people are empowered and and given the strength of the Holy Spirit to go out into the world and to continue that message. That's kind of the theological answer. The experiential answer is really the same. It's different language, but this is it. This is why church, if you want to take the theology out of it. Jesus came to give us, his words, not mine, abundant life. What does that mean? That we live deeper. That life is more meaningful. And I would say that there are three things that we could say. That we would, as we live this deeper life, that we find a life of deeper meaning. We find a life with a defined purpose. And what's the third one? I'm old. <laughs> it's in here somewhere. We find a life of deeper meaning. We find a life of defined purpose and a life of continual growth. We all want to continue growing as human beings. We all want to live a life that means something. We have relationships that are more than just superficial. We want to know that we are actually doing something that has some sort of direct benefit for the world as we move forward, a defined purpose, and that we grow continually. Growing is important. If we're not growing, we're shrinking. And we all need to keep learning and keep becoming better versions of ourselves. Jesus can do that. Now, in our church, we have a specific way we speak of that. <clears throat> you heard it in the announcement video. We call it sharing Christ, serving others, and growing in faith. When we share Christ, and, that's, and that doesn't mean, and we're going to talk more about this in a minute, that doesn't mean that we all have to sign up to become evangelists because that word scares everybody, including, including me. Um, it, it means we learn to live a life that includes relationships that go deeper than just the surface. And we share at a deeper level and we bring the very presence of Christ into people's lives. So we share Christ, we serve others, and that's just that. We do things to help others uh, live better, uh, to have more. We share Christ, we serve others, and we grow in faith. We have this continual life of growing and learning more about God. The more we learn about God and how much he loves us, the more we love him. So that's what we call that, sharing Christ, serving others, growing in faith. Growing in faith. We live a life of, of, with a deeper meaning, a life with a defined purpose, and a life of continual 
growth as a human being because Jesus came so that we could be the best version of ourselves possible and there's no place else you're going to learn about that besides the church so it doesn't matter who we are or how long we've known Jesus or if we know him yet at all Jesus can help us to become then all that we were created to be the church is where we hear and we won't hear it anywhere else. The church is where we hear the story of God's love. And so many people live a life because of mistakes they've made. I've been that person. Where There was a time in my life that when I thought, well, there's no way God's going to love me because I know where I've been. I know the things I've done. And there's no way God can, can have a part of that. And then I went to church. And it was at church that I read the Bible for the first time and got involved in a group with other people in disciple Bible study. And you know what I learned? I learned that God actually does love me. And I heard that story of God's love. And not only that, but church is where I found my place in the story of God's love. And I would have never found that anywhere else. And believe me, I was not a religious person when we started this process back in 1988. But then, and, and maybe more importantly even, church is the place where we meet other people who are also learning about God's story. They're finding their place in God's story, and we learn to support each other in our journey to find our place in God's story of love for us. And you won't find those people anywhere else but in the church, and we need each other. This is the oldest sermon illustration in the book, if there were a book, and every preacher has used it, so I'm going to use it again because it just works, and that is this. If, if you have a roaring fire in your fireplace, and it's just blazing, and it's warm, and you're grooving on it, and, 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 you, know, and you don't have the screen up for whatever reason, and an ember pops out and lands on the hearth, what happens? The ember will eventually burn out because there was not enough heat around it to keep it going. The same is true for us as we're followers of Jesus Christ. We need that heat, if you will, from other people to keep us alive and to keep us glowing. Another example, um, I always wanted to be a good football player. I played football in Little League, and I played when I was a freshman in high school. And then I got braces, and my father said, yeah, no. We're not going to pay $3,000 for braces, only for you to get them knocked down your throat. So you're going to join the band, So, which is probably a good move anyway. I was much better built for the band than I was for the football team anyway. But I always wanted to be a wide receiver. So let's use that as an example. So you want to be a wide receiver, and you want to play in the NFL. What are you going to do? Well, one thing you could do is go down here to D1 in Hardin Valley, and I don't work for them, by the way, but I know that they have trainers there, and I know that a lot of, of really world-class athletes work out at that gym. And you can go down there, and someone could teach you how to have explosive strength, and someone can teach you how to have better hand-eye coordination, and they can teach you the route trees, and they can teach you how to run routes, and they can teach you how to look that ball right into your hands when it comes in. But if you don't get on a team... It's none of it's ever going to matter because you're never going to have a chance to figure out if you were really any good or not until you got with other people. Now the metaphor breaks down, but you get the idea. You need to get on a team and you need to be with other people if you're going to experience the fullness of who you are as an athlete in a team sport. And the same is true for church. The church is where we discover life with deeper meaning, defined purpose, and continual 
growth. Again, at our church, we call it sharing Christ, serving others, growing in faith. So, so we're going to talk about all these things over the next few weeks and the difference they can make to the church, to the community around us, but also in us as individuals. Today, we're going to talk about relationships that have deeper meaning. We all would love to have, most likely, their relationships we all have that we'd love to strengthen. We'd love for it to be stronger. We'd love to be closer. Not every relationship is going to be intimate and close. They're not all, you know, you're not going to have the same relationship with the person who makes your, your mocha chocolata, boom chocolata latte with skinny whip or whatever, you know, that you pull through the window to get at Starbucks. Yeah, that relationship is going to be fairly superficial unless they mess your order up. And then you're going to get more involved in their life. But, but there are other relationships we'd like to be deeper, okay? And so we're going to talk about that today. So to understand this mission that we're on to share Christ, and that's everybody, by the way. We're, anybody following Jesus Christ is a disciple. Jesus' job description for all disciples the, just before he went back into heaven was to go and make disciples. Go make other disciples. Okay? So that's, it's our job. So let's think about how we do that and how the same things that help us to become better at that can, can enrich our other relationships. So I'm going to read you a story. The iconic passage for this is from John chapter 4. It's long. It's like verse 4 through 42. And, and, and that would, we're going to have communion. It would take all day. The Baptists would all beat us to the salad bar, and we don't want that to happen. We're going to get out here at a reasonable time. So I'm going to, I'm, I've excerpted the story because it takes some twists and turns that we don't necessarily need this morning. So, so this is going to begin. I'm going to begin actually with verse 4 and go through Hit, hit, hitting and missing verses through 42. I had him just put this picture up here just to kind of help, you know, kind of pr prime your imagination a little bit. This is just some artist who, who painted this picture of Jesus and the woman at the well because that's the story. We heard, we heard an allusion to that in this song that Ella sang for us. And the background of the story is Jesus was traveling from Galilee, from Judea to Galilee, and you have to go through Samaria, Okay. Here's the bottom line. Jews hated Sumerians. I mean, I don't mean they didn't like them. I mean, Jews hated them. You think Tennessee and Florida fans have a dislike for each other? You don't know. It's nothing compared to Jews and Samaritans. And there are theological reasons why they did, and we don't have to go time, time to get into that. Right? You have to trust me on it. But there were, legend had it, that there were many Jews, especially rabbis and teachers, that would actually go, they would walk hundreds of miles out of the way just to keep from having to walk through Samaria. So Jesus walks through Samaria and he stops at a well and talks to a woman. Now, again, for a little bit of background, and the story alludes to that, this is a woman. Men, Jewish men, didn't talk to women in public that weren't their wives. He didn't do that, particularly not someone being identified as a teacher like Jesus was. And so he's not just talking to a woman, he's talking to a Samaritan woman in broad daylight at high noon. But he did it for a reason. Let's hear, hear the story. These are excerpts from the story. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. 
When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Would you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who's one of the fathers of the Jewish faith, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming down here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. Fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went, woman went back into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. It's an incredible story of grace. And we could spend weeks just breaking this passage down. But I want us to come away with it with really one thing. And that's this. Not what Jesus did, but what Jesus didn't do. You know what Jesus didn't do? Hey, so you've been married five times and you're living with some guy. What's up with that, lady? You're, you're a Samaritan. You want to give me, you want to give me lip? You want to backtalk me? You know who I am? I'm the Messiah. And you're a Samaritan, and I could just call down angels and zap you right now, lady. He didn't do that. He didn't accuse. He didn't point fingers. He wasn't judgmental. He didn't argue. He didn't give a list of theological bullet points that she had to salute. You know what he did? You know what he did? He was just Jesus. He just brought himself to the conversation because that's how Jesus rolls. The only people he ever chewed out were the religious professionals, not certainly someone that he could sense had a need that he could fill. But he didn't do it by trying to talk her into or out of anything. He simply was, he was just himself. And it drew her in. Now, he was God. He was able to fill in some gaps. But it was clear that this woman was an outsider. Otherwise, she would come to draw water just at dawn or at dusk when it was cooler, not in the heat of the day. So, was, so clearly, this woman was an outcast in her village. 
because she didn't want to be with those other women that would women that would be there at dawn or dusk. That's why she was there by herself at noon. And Jesus, I believe, felt sorry for her. And that's why he engaged her. Because he wanted to see if she was interested in something more. And there's so much for us to learn about sharing Jesus then with other people. We don't have to know all of this theological stuff. It's all good if you do, but it's not the time to use it. I will assure you of that. What we do is approach people the same way he would. Not being judgmental, not being accusatory, not raising our voice, not listing this list of reasons why you should be a Christian. But listening without judgment, keeping that non-anxious presence and letting people draw themselves out. So, so if I'm you at this point, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, right, preacher. Uh, but that was Jesus, remember? I'm not Jesus, okay? And I'm not sure I can do that. Let me give you just a couple little pieces of Scripture to try to convince you that you can. First Peter, it's a letter that Peter wrote some letters to the church in the, in the, toward the end of the New Testament. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you've found. But do this with gentleness and respect. See, if we're, if we're actually, and, and this applies for relationships with people we know, not just, not just rank strangers that we might run into at an airport or a Starbucks or Walmart or school or whatever. The point of this is that people, can, people spot that. If you revere Christ, as it said, if you have a heart that reveres Christ, then you're going to try to reflect him in the world. And people will catch that. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. They just seem to, they spot it. You're different. There's something about you that's different. And we need to be ready to say, well, Here's, here's the difference it's made in my life. Now, Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. There was a church at Colossae, and Paul wrote a letter to them. And it says this. Oh, this is, this is good stuff. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Man, we could stop right there and do a sermon series for all churches to hear. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Why? Not so you'll be salty, but so it'll taste good. It'll be acceptable so that you may know how to answer everyone. Make the most of every opportunity. You know how easy that is? I'm going to show you how easy that is. It's been a couple of years ago now. But this is the... Because I'm, I'm not an evangelist. I wish I were better at that. Whatever that means. But let me give you an example. I was at the uh, DMV getting a real ID a couple of years ago. And you fill out the form and it has occupation or where do you work and church. You know, I put Concord United Methodist Church. So the guy behind the desk, the DMV, is looking at my application. And he said, 
you work at a church? I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. Always ready to say that. I'm a pastor. Huh. You're a pastor. And the next thing he told me was this. This is I've never seen this person before in my life. We're in the DMV. There's a line behind me. People holding their little numbers. You're a pastor. I'm going through a divorce. And I'm really worried about my daughter. Because she doesn't understand. It's like, I, I don't even know the guy. And he's telling me this stuff. And so I'm just standing there. Oh, well, I'm, I'm so sorry. And yeah, and you know, my, my wife and I would like to be able to work it out, but it's just not going to work out. And I'm so worried about my daughter. And, and the pause was translated, what do I do? You know, so I said, well, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen with you and your wife. I'll pray for you. He told me his name. I'll, I'll pray for you. But I said, you know what you can do? You ought to, maybe you ought to go to a church. Now, we'd love to have you at our church, but he lived way on the other side of town. Maybe you could go to a church because there you'd find some people who might be able to give you some support. I will. I actually have been to a church a few times, and, and that was kind of the way we left it. But his, his, his whole demeanor was different. But that's what I mean by making the most of every opportunity. And you say, well, I'm not a pastor. No, but you're a Christian. And people will... Pe opportunities are there all the time. You can always just talk about my church. You can, that's a great thing to do. You know, at our church, we, they dump 20,000 pounds of sweet potatoes in the parking lot and we bag them up and give them to hungry people. It's the darndest thing. And people go, you're kidding. And it's just like, there's your opportunity. Door flies open. You have a chance to speak more. And you don't have to know a bunch of theology if you just bring the presence of Christ and there's this one other passage from Luke chapter 12. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Jesus was preparing his disciples how to act when they were questioned. And he's like, Holy Spirit's got your back. Just stay loose. Listen. Sense where God may be leading you in a conversation. And this can make a difference with people that you run into that you don't really know, and it can also make a difference in conversations with people you do know and make relationships more meaningful so you can get past just talking about the ball game or talking about the movie or talking about whatever it may be and allow you to take a step further and go into the deeper things. Their opportunities are always there if we'll just take them. We don't have to have all the answers. Just have a conversation and listen. We bring Jesus with it. When we bring Jesus with us into our relationships, remember this, we bring his power to change things. When we let Jesus work through us and in us in relationships, suddenly it's his power at play and not just us. That's the reason when he was having that last supper with his friends, that's the reason he told them when he took that loaf of bread and he, and he broke it and he said, now, every time you eat this, remember me. And, when he, and that word for remember, I've said this before, means remember that I'm with you, that your life is with me and mine is with you. Remember, I'm with you. I'll help you. You'll know what to say. You'll know what to do. And he passed, blessed, asked God's blessing on the cup of wine. He said, every time you drink this, you remember what I'm sacrificing for you. 
so that you can have a full life, a deep life, meaningful relationships. That's why I did this. You know, look around. We're all he's got. Think about that. And you know what? It's enough. Because he is in us and we are in him. And he can change the world through you and me. One relationship at a time. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for these gifts of bread and juice. May they be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.